This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien. The question comes up, can you trust Twitter now that it's under the control of Elon Musk? And someone who knows quite a bit about Elon Musk because she covered Tesla for, uh, what, three years is Lynette Lopez, a reporter with Business Insider. And I recently saw one of your tweets where you said, I think I'm quoting accurately, Elon Musk has no idea what he's going to do. You're thinking too hard. Can it really be that bad? Absolutely. Yeah, it can. I covered Tesla from 2018 to 2021. During that time, the company was going through its Model 3 ramp up. And the kind of negligence, recklessness, and just lack of thought that I saw from Elon was really stunning. And I know that it seems like making a car would be more complicated than running a social media site. But we've been making cars for 100 years, and social media is rather new. So there's no blueprint for it, and there's no prior experience to draw on. The success of social media in our society is debatable, really, whether it's accomplished any of the stated goals of, say, Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey, who started these sites. So when you're thinking of taking over this, it's actually a very complicated thing. It's not just a simple website. Maybe you can help me sum this up because I see a lot of theories on Twitter about, no, Elon is purposely trying to tank Twitter. No, he's got a plan. He's just got to figure it out. That's why he's playing it cool. Uh, that he sort of was posturing when he offered that $44 billion and Jack, who wanted out of this company that was losing money by the millions per day, called his bluff and forced him to pay that $44 million, And now Elon's just trying to pretend his way through running Twitter. Is that correct? I definitely think Elon is pretending. He's trying a lot of things and seeing what works. I don't think he bothered to do very much research or try to understand the platform, how it made money or what people's behavior is when they engage with Twitter um, and what they're likely to pay for and what they are not. Elon is very, very self-assured. And because of that, he can make very, very big mistakes. For example, at one point while I was covering Tesla, he automated the entire Tesla Fremont factory, or at least tried to. He spent billions of dollars buying these giant robots, hoping that he could fire all the people in his factory. But unfortunately, robots can basically do one thing and one thing only at a time. So he found out that that was not going to work the hard way, even though lots of people told him it wasn't going to work. And he had to trash a bunch of these machines and he ended up having to hire a bunch of new laborers for Tesla and even built a production line outside because there was not enough space in the factory. It was littered with these robots that were unusable. And it was a multi-billion dollar mistake that he should have avoided if he had listened to any counsel or given any thought to actually how cars are made. He does not think that the rules apply to him ever. He always thinks he can find a way around it. So if people tell him something, he's not going to believe it. He's only going to believe what he personally believes because he's defied the odds so many times before. Why shouldn't he be able to do it this time? Well, what's the check and balance on that? His stock is still very valuable. It's made a lot of people rich, hasn't it? So he he can't be an idiot. I'm not sure idiot is the right word. He's deeply flawed. Tesla is completely controlled by Elon Musk. Uh, The shareholders really have no say in what goes on at the company. The problem is he's going to have to eventually choose between Twitter and Tesla. Twitter does not make any money. It's you know 90% ads driven. And if advertisers don't want to spend money on that platform, it's sunk, even more than it already has sunk. 
And in order to keep the lights on, Elon's going to have to put some cash into it. And I don't know how he's going to find cash other than selling Tesla shares, which is what he's been doing. What is the advantage of having Twitter for him, though? That's what I'm not seeing. Like, sure, if he can turn a profit on it, great. But he's already a billionaire, a multi-billionaire that can make a $44 billion mistake. So what is the end goal for him? He wants to be influential and important. And he wants communications in the United States and around the world to reflect his values. There's no monetary value in Twitter for him. It's about the ego. It's about the power. It's about the control. So he wants to communicate his values. What does that mean? What are his values? Communicate his values to what end? I think that Elon is the kind of person who really wants people to work in objective frameworks. He does not understand the subjectivity of society, of the nuances of history and social relations, all of that kind of stuff is lost on him. He's a math guy and he thinks that everything should be logical. He thinks that everything is a yes or a no or a black or a white answer. This is why he said he's a free speech absolutist. And now the more that he's running the platform, the more he's seeing there is no black or white. There is no yes or no. There are millions of complex factors and decisions that have to be made all the time. And the society is complex and varied as ours on this planet, not just this country. And he's having to grapple with those things and realizing that a free speech absolutist will run headlong into the challenges of business, society, politics. It's not a black and white. It's not a yes or no. Do you ever think Congress might step in. I know he's been having some tense conversations with members of Congress on Twitter saying we might come after you. Like, it's interesting to talk about this guy. You know, I know that narcissism does run among CEOs. It's pretty rampant. Uh, I'm not sure if he has any sort of like social disability that causes him not to be able to understand the people around him. But we're talking about thousands of jobs, major companies worth billions of dollars as we head into a possible recession. You've got to think the government's going to step in at some point. I think the government is definitely interested in his ties to the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. Also, they're concerned about what bleeding in terms of there could be Twitter and SpaceX. Um, they They're worried that he's going to have to deal with um, totalitarian or totalitarian-like governments when working with Twitter, and that maybe he'll have engineers who work at SpaceX work at Twitter, that the security at Twitter might not be as robust as it was before. There are so many complications with a guy like Elon Musk, who is not transparent, shoots from the hip who seems to have an affinity for authoritarian leaders, but also has a security clearance because of SpaceX, and now runs a communication platform that is used by dissidents in countries sometimes, that the people that he wants to work with, with SpaceX and Tesla, may not like. Lynette Lopez, reporter with Business Insider. Lynette, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me on. Seattle's Morning News. 
With the snow and king crab seasons now canceled in Alaska, what's the future of the Dungeness crab population in Washington, and what happens to the 200 commercial crab fishers in the state? Here's Cairo News Radio's Chris Martin. After recent reports and pictures showing piles of Dungeness crab dead on local shores, we wanted to find out if things looked as dire for this local delicacy as they do for the Alaskan crab population. Tim Novotny from the Oregon Dungeness Crab Commission says that while climate change does play a role, they've been seeing hypoxia, essentially lack of oxygen, in crab for generations. When we see the hypoxic zones or the dead zones, when when they hit, they tend to hit after 90% of the season has been landed. It's still a concern because we're still losing young crab and you can have the potential of losing female crab in those zones. Novotny says the harvest last year was good. Over 17 million pounds of Dungeness crab was landed, and they hope for a similar season this year. From 2014 to 2019, coast-caught Dungeness was worth $45 million a year. But Novotny says the fishermen are very concerned with the conditions in the ocean and how it's affecting aquatic life. Not just a talking point when we say, you know, our fishermen are stewards of the sea. These guys are, uh, and ladies, are generational fishermen in many cases. So, you know, they're fishermen because their fathers were, their grandfathers were, and, and oftentimes their kids and their grandkids are, are taking part. They, they know the importance of uh, maintaining a healthy ocean uh, for the future of the fishery and the future of their families' livelihoods. The National Center for Coastal and Ocean Science recently announced more than $4 million in funding to study what's causing and compounding the problem and what exactly can be done about it. The role that the fishermen play in science, you know, they're out there fishing and trying to bring food and bring that in safely to the table. But at the same time, a lot of these guys uh, know the water just uh, as well as a lot of the scientists do. And they they see these changes. And, and a lot of the times you'll find that they're some of the first people to bring these changes to their attention and say, hey, something's not right and something needs to be looked into. And we owe them a debt of gratitude for raising these alerts and getting to work on it. The season traditionally starts on December 1st, but they've only hit that date once in the last eight years. Recently, it's been getting pushed into January. There's a hard stop on August 14th. Chris Martin, Cairo News Radio. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien. We now have charges against two teenagers in the fatal shooting at Ingram High School one week ago. Let's go live now to Cairo News Radio's Darren Dito. Good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you both doing? Good. Waking up. What did you learn in those charging papers? Well, obviously, it's a very sad uh, situation, uh, traumatic for everyone involved. From what I've been able to see from these uh, court documents, that it looks like there was some type of an altercation, a a fight in a bathroom that was uh, near the library between two groups. You had the alleged shooter, the 14-year-old, his his friends, then the victim and his friends. Supposedly they they were in a physical fight over a gun. And it went on for a while, and supposedly the shooter um, lost his phone. It was he thought it was stolen in this uh, fight, and so the kids got out of the bathroom. They went their separate ways. They did say some words to each other. Then it was ten minutes later when they met up again in the hallway, and the alleged shooter 
apparently was irate because he thought his phone was stolen. Once again, there was some type of, of uh, words were exchanged. I know in the in the, in the probable cause documents, a witness said that um, some type of a slang term. They heard that something might have been exchanged between the the fourteen year old and, and the victim. Are we talking so about racial, Darren? Are we talking around. about racial terms, oh. or are we talking when you said some sort of? Uh, no, it was. Um, Something that the uh, the witness said that it was about shooting a gun. Okay. It says uh, you're you're not gonna bust it, and that is uh, allegedly what the victim told to the 14 year old um, who now was taking a uh, gun out of his backpack. Now the the victim didn't see it. He had turned around. He was walking away, wow. and during that they have surveillance video of everything to see how police. Uh, recovered from Ingram High School. So, you, so supposedly you can see the, the victim walking away. Uh, the 14-year-old, the alleged shooter, pulled out the gun and shot him right in the back mm. uh, multiple times. As the 17-year-old is falling to the ground, he kept shooting. Wow. And then one of the victim's friends took off uh, running away, and the uh, the suspect took a shot at him, oh. but missed. Um, which I went to Ingram, so I know the area they're talking about, and there's a lot of traffic that goes through that hallway, and it's probably very fortunate that more people did not get injured. But obviously, the sad thing is we have a 17, 17 year old that deceased, um, and where the gun came from. Supposedly, well, it says that it was reported um, lost to the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office on, on October 28th. So I put a call into them yesterday trying to find out some more details about that lost from where, where in the county, how that all, all that works out. But somehow this gun um, got into the possession of, of these kids, of the alleged shooter, the 14-year-old. Now, of course, later that morning, they were arrested uh, on a metro bus. You had the suspect. He had his backpack, but, but the gun was not in that. He had a 15-year-old friend with him that when police searched his backpack, they found the Glock inside there. And the uh, Washington State Crime Lab has, done, has run some tests, and it appears that that is the murder weapon that was used uh, at Ingram High School. The only thing, real quick, I know we're probably up against the clock, but I thought this was kind of interesting. Dave, you might have saw this, that after the shooting, the kids left the school. The, the alleged shooter met up with his friend. They were trying to get away from the school. They ended up in a woman's backyard. Mm -hmm. And the woman came out and said, hey, what, you know, what, what, what's going on? Are you guys okay? She, she told police that they seemed scared. Uh, they're like, oh, there had been a shooting at the school. We, you know, we had to leave. And so they, she invited them in, oh. gave them some water. Uh, they hung out at the house for about 30 minutes and, and then they left and they headed for Aurora oh. and that's when they went to the bus stop and they were eventually arrested. But the uh, in the probable cause documents, the, the woman that offered them the water had them inside her house for 30 minutes took a picture yeah. and then um, when she called police they compared the images with the picture she took of the kids and in fact it was um, the 14 year old, the 15 year old 
girlfriend friend that were in her house for 30 minutes of course the gun was still with them at the time and you know fortunately everything was okay but um, I just thought that was kind of an interesting part well, of that the was a heads up the move on, on her part one more thing it says in the charging documents that the teacher had seen this uh, student the uh, the alleged shooter very upset and even reported her concerns to security at 935. That would have been 20 minutes before the shooting. Do we know what, uh, what measures security took after the teacher made that report? No, that's a good point. That's something I'm trying to find out from from police and prosecutors that she that I, I that I know. See, they had some kind of an issue with he wanted to go to the bathroom. He went to the bathroom once, then he then he got irate, then he wanted to go again, and then after class, he was kind of pounding his fist into his hand, and that teacher was like, you know, worried about what was going on. Contacted security at nine thirty five. Said, I, I think there might be some type of situation. Two groups might be getting. I. From what I can see from the documents, I don't see anything happen because it went from that in the narrative to just moving on what happened. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, you, God forbid, you never think anything's going to happen like this. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a really sad and traumatic situation. Kyron News Radio's Darren Dito. Thank you, Darren. Thank you. And Kyron News Radio's Sam Campbell joins us now. You covered the, uh, the walkout. And so tell us how what happened there. Right. So I got to Ingram High School yesterday and I had uh, chatted with Tim Robinson with uh, Seattle Public Schools. And Tim had actually let me know that this wasn't Ingram specific. So this was organized by a somewhat nebulous group that I'm still trying to understand here called Seattle Student Union, which apparently includes students from all across the district. Mm -hmm. And so Tim had let me know that it's quite possible that there's going to be students walking out of classes at high schools across SPS. And that happened? And that is what happened. Um, How many would you say were in the crowd that gathered at City Hall? Was it hundreds? It looked to be hundreds. Uh, You know, I wasn't there at City Hall. I was at Ingram and and following that. And I uh, when I realized realized that students were walking out of the school. They had gathered first on the football field before walking to uh, Aurora Avenue so that they could catch the bus line to City Hall. And what were they telling you? What were, I mean, we've heard the I don't feel safe. I went, do they want metal detectors? Do they want schools to look like, you know, the outside of a prison? What What are they demanding? Well, there's some disagreement there uh, mm. among the students, understandably. Uh, so, so there's from what I gathered talking with students, the bottom line is they just want to feel safe again. And they don't feel safe. You know, yesterday was supposed to be their first day back uh, at Ingram since the shooting on last Tuesday. And uh, they just they they tell me that they don't feel safe. They don't know what it will take. Not all of them. You know, some of them have ideas. Maybe metal detectors will help. Maybe uh, extra training for the security personnel who are in the building will help. Some students say they don't want armed police officers in their building at all. They don't think that that will help. Uh, But there is some disagreement there. However, the Seattle Student Union group that's, that organized the walkout actually posted their demands oh. on social media, those being more mental health counselors. And sure. specifically, they want a ratio of to, uh, one counselor to every 200 students. Mm-hmm. Now, objectively, that doesn't sound like a tall demand, but that might sound familiar to anyone who was listening to the SPS strike 
earlier this year. Oh yeah, because- teachers were asking for it too. The kids mm-hmm. are the kids are not all right. They're not at all ages. And we've gotten rid of resource officers. We've gotten rid of counselors, nurses. I don't even think we have a counselor at my daughter's elementary school anymore. But or I'm a thinking in the meantime, whatever, if that's losing to take a while. In the meantime, has there been extra security posted at the school? Or Tim, Tim Robinson with SPS did tell me uh, prior to them coming back to their first day at class that extra security and safety staff would be present. Right. Uh, he, he said he wasn't sure how, how much of a uh, presence from Seattle police would be there because that would depend on emergency staffing needs. Uh, but he, he did say that there is extra security staff there, uh, but they are um, they're they're still trying to work on reviewing all of the schools dis- schools in the district their safety and security right. protocols. Well, and as you pointed out in the charging docs, a teacher said something, reported it to school security. Security did not act fast enough in this for whatever reason. But that's what it's going to take is for adults to stop saying, "Oh, they're just being kids," and take it seriously. If a kid is upset, talk to them. And that's what I got I gathered from students, you know, who were there. They weren't just heartbroken, but some of them were angry because it felt like for them, they said it felt like we are the ones having to take action now. And I'd like to play a little uh, bite here from some three students that I spoke with about what was on their mind when they first came back to the school this first day back since the shooting last Tuesday. And, you know, some of them uh, some of them knew the uh, the victim. So here's here's what they said. What if this happens again? Like, is that a possibility, a chance? I don't want to be here that much anymore. I just felt kind of unsafe knowing that happened once and could happen again. So heartbreaking to hear the students say, I I just don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. Kindness Radio, Sam Campbell. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Dave. Daily Dose of Kindness, sponsored by Heritage Homecraft. It's a sister's heartbreaking TikTok video that led to an epic birthday surprise. Tennessee native Chloe posted a video about her younger sister, Charlotte, after only receiving one birthday party RSVP in the wake of their mom's death from brain cancer. If a kid in your child's class gives out birthday invitations, just come. My little sister turns eight tomorrow. Her birthday party is going to be this weekend. Um, Our mom died of brain cancer 83 days ago. One, one child from her class, RCP. I haven't even told her that. At the end of the day, they shouldn't be mean. Well, TikTok, that video was heard. Chloe, obviously devastated until she woke up the next day to dozens of responses from strangers near and far wanting to help. Singer and talk show host Kelly Clarkson even offered to meet Chloe and the birthday girl. So the first thing that happened was um, I got in contact. This woman named Taylor actually found me and got in connection with me. And she was like, I have a little girl around Charlotte's age. Can I bring her? Can I help you decorate? Mm. And another woman, Abby, was like, I'll come and decorate at the same time, too. And Charlotte's birthday ended up being even bigger than she could ever imagine. Then this Jeep line showed up. It was about 30 Jeeps full of people just pulling through and handing her gifts and pulling through and (laughs) singing her happy birthday songs. Um, There was also a woman named Alyssa from Cadence Critters. And she brought these like giant pythons and lizards. And the kids did these like big, this like expo essentially where they learned about reptiles and got to hold them. And Charlotte's face just throughout all of it. She was floored. She was absolutely floored, obviously. Uh, The community 
making Charlotte's first birthday after her mom's passing truly special. It is 747, and now from the Gia Nursula Show, which starts at 9 right here in Cairo News Radio, here is G. Scott, now officially one of 8 billion people on this planet. Wow. How does that make you feel? I got to change my copy. You got to change your copy? Yeah, yeah, because usually I'm always, when I'm talking and giving examples or kids or whatever, I'm always said. <laughs> There's 7.6 billion people on the planet. You mean to tell me you're going to sweat this person in your neighborhood or you can't get over that relationship? Mm-hmm. But now i got to change my copy. Yeah, 8 it billion. Is, it is now 8 billion people mm-hmm. on the planet. There's 8 billion people. But don't you worry, Dave. You're safe in Mercer yeah. Island. <laughs> Mercer, Mercer Island, the community stays the same. As long as they can't find that off-ramp, then <laughs> yeah. we're fine. They, well... <laughs> Well, it's interesting, right? Uh, and, and maybe, Colin, you can help me with this. I thought that um, the United States in, wasn't having kids. So that means that outside of the United States, mm-hmm. folks are having more kids, right? Yeah. What's going on? I know. Well, where was it growing? Did the U.N. say, like, where in the world it was growing fastest? I haven't seen the whole report. Because, yeah, that's the whole thing is millennials aren't having babies. And it's like, well, we can't afford child care. Why would we have kids <laughs> if we can't afford them? Right. This isn't the 80s. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but... I believe that to be true here in the United States, not yeah. just going off of anything that I've researched or studied, just going off of people that we know, yeah. like people these days, young men and women are flat out not having kids like they used to. Now they're, they're already saying, hey, I'm going to wait for my career. I'm going to wait for this promotion. I'm going to wait till I can get a house. And if you're in the Seattle area, you just got to keep waiting. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, more and more people are. Dave, you got more grandkids, bro. Mm, probably not. It's not really uh, up to me. But when I see a figure like this, it tells me that the odds of humanity producing the genius that can solve or all our problems just went up, right? Didn't we already, the though? More... We never listened to him. Anybody who wants to say, like, let's save the earth and here's how we do it, everybody well, shouts them down we'd, we'd until be they... listening to them. I'm right. just saying there's a good chance that there's somebody out there now. Yeah. Who knows not only the answer, but the way to sell it to everybody. Mm-hmm. And then there's I've, somebody out there. Somebody's got to have superpowers, right? Like think, 8 billion people. Like, at least just one. Keep I, going. I, I, I like what you're saying. I like to look at the glass half full mm-hmm. and agree with that. However, I think that we had a better chance of finding that person yesterday and in the past than we do now. Why? Because... Folks only listen to people with money, Uh. either money or influence of a vote. Do I need to point you guys to the direction of Herschel Walker Mm. and what's happening right now in Georgia? You mean to tell me, hear me out. You mean to tell me that Herschel Walker is the best candidate for the state of Georgia for senator? Yeah. I, I, I mean, so... I don't mean to poo-poo what you said, because I would love your right, Dave. There's 8 billion people on the planet. And so you think that that is more of a chance to find someone that is great to cure some of the problems that we have in this world. But look at Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're assuming that all the solutions will come from members of Congress. And members of Congress uh, will, you know, will have to vote for whatever is done eventually, but it's the people who persuade the members of Congress to vote a certain way. The lobbyists. So, so we've we've so, given birth so, to more lobbyists. So, so I, 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 I said, 
those with money mm-hmm. or influence of a vote. And look at our how we're doing on social media. Look at look at all of the people coming to the defense of Kanye West, mm-hmm. coming to the defense of Kyrie Irving. Telling folks, oh, my goodness, look at what they're doing to Kanye West. Kanye West is hateful. Mm -hmm. How many people do you know that have lost one point six billion dollars in a day? Well, Elon Musk lost forty four billion in a day. (laughs) Right. When he bought Twitter. But you're right. I mean, how many people could quote Elon Musk as opposed to Greta Thunberg? Right. Like Greta Thunberg, that young girl from Sweden, I believe it is. She's she's trying to change the world. Right. But nobody could quote her. Don't you think these sideshows will will fall away once it becomes existential? I mean, what we're being told, for for example, the, the crab die off. This is clearly, according to my uh, fisher person friends, this is global warming. The crab need cold water, and Alaska has had warm water. And I'm, maybe it goes in cycles, uh, maybe it doesn't, but there are real-world consequences, like the food supply collapses in certain areas. At that point, don't you think that the distractions like Urschel Walker and Kanye West give way to a search for people who can actually fix stuff? No. No. Well, look what we saw in the pandemic. Okay, okay. I mean, we were we had the top scientific minds trying to tell us the best medical information. And we were like, la, 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 Twitter got, says this. We got people in this country that are vaccinated and still speaking down on the vaccine. No, Dave, I'm sorry to be pessimistic the way that I am. We are a capitalistic society and money talks as the old saying goes. And for some reason, social media, TikToks and Instagrams and all those things that is making the influence come from money. I'm sorry, little smart child. But do you have how many followers do you have? Oh, you only have 200 followers, but you're really smart. We're not going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, doctor, that is telling the world exactly what's going on with COVID. Oh, you don't you don't have right wing talking points. I'm sorry. You must be fake news. So you're predicting that we're, we're going to vote ourselves off the planet. I didn't say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you're alluding we're, to we're, it. We're, we're, we're coming back right now. Yeah. I, we're, we're, we're coming back. Wait, he's back on the glass half full. Yeah, yeah, Here, we go. Glass oh. half Here we go. We're, we're coming back Had to now. Get that out. Yeah, yeah, yes. You know, I do believe that the world is going to be better because of the youngsters that are coming behind us. The Gen Z population is doing mm-hmm. great they things. Take this seriously. It's us, it's us old folks who just can't get it together. You hear We're it. the ones that share all the fake news on social media. I can't believe they shared the fake news. Hey, Auntie Gloria just shared that. What is that? Where is that from? That's not even a real publication. To be fair, though, every generation has its flaws, and, and, and Gen Z were eating Tide Pods at one point. So, I mean, we all have our down points. That's why you are the way you are. <laughs> I'm a millennial. But at, least, at least you're clean inside. Excuse my brand is all... Thank you very much. <laughs> but Dave, a joke. But Dave, I just want to yes. say, even though there's eight billion people on the planet, mm-hmm. there's only one Dave Ross. That's right, baby. <laughs> and there's only one G Scott in his collection of amazing shoes. I know. Yes, yeah. let's get the new pair of shoes on your feet. It's time to go to Washington D.C. and the Washington correspondent. The New York Times, David Farenthold. Good morning, David. Good morning. We haven't uh, spoken about the election, so I just want to. I was I was surprised. What about you? I was surprised too. If you recall, 
last week once <clears throat> continued my streak of always being wrong about the election. <laughs> I said that it would be a Republican sweep of House and Senate. And I was really surprised. And honestly, I think everybody in Washington, including the Democrats, was surprised. Maybe not that they held the Senate because there were some polls showing that, but that they did so well in the House to the point that the House is not quite yet called for Republicans, although it may happen today. And that was not what anybody expected. I think people expected Republicans to gain 20 or 30 seats. Now they more gain more like seven or eight. Right. Chris, there's a lot of speculation as to why that happened. I'm just more interested in what this means going forward. So the next step, of course, the, fir- the first job of the Congress is to elect a speaker. Uh, and I, I keep reading stories saying that, uh, no, uh, Kevin McCarthy doesn't have that locked up. Well, I don't think he has it locked up. We talked about this last week. McCarthy is the cool dad. He's somebody who has never told these folks no. He's always let them follow their worst instincts. You know, he, he voted to decertify the election. He's somebody who's never been a leader. He's always been a follower. And so now, you know, that lack of respect, the lack of fear of him has really come back to bite him because there's a lot of people who, you know, want to push him around. And so I do think he's going to get the 218 votes that he needs. But I think he's going to have to make a lot of concessions along the way, and he's going to end up a very weak speaker. You know, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and the sort of right wing of his caucus are going to have a huge amount of leverage over him. And he's going to be somebody who can't lead anywhere. He just has to sort of follow. It's a recipe for a pretty chaotic couple of years in the House. Well, how does that help anybody? How does it even help the Republicans? I mean, for example, I, I keep hearing that they're going to they're going to push this debt limit thing again because they want to force cuts in in Medicare and Social Security. And Democrats are not going to cut those programs at the at the barrel of a gun. Uh, how, how serious is that threat, first of all? Well, I, there's still the lame duck Congress. So this is, you know, the, con- the current Congress we have, the Democrats controlling both houses will, will meet for, until you know, the end of December. And I do expect them to take some sort of action on the debt limit that will take that off the table. They, really? didn't, they were caught unprepared yeah, in 2010. You remember all those different like showdowns over the debt limit. You know, people don't remember this. If you don't raise the debt limit, then the U.S. has to stop borrowing money. And you know, the world economy collapses because then you can't trust the U.S. to pay its debt. So I think they're going to do something in the midterm to raise the debt ceiling, either get rid of the debt ceiling, because it's not a constitution, it's just a law, or to raise it so high that they won't need to worry about it until, you know, after Biden you know, finishes his first term. So I don't think that'll be a problem, but I do think the threat of a government shutdown will be pretty constant. You know, that's something that Congress actually needs to act to keep the government funded, and I think these folks are going to, you know, act like, you know, they're going to hold it hostage to try to hold it hostage. Well, that's and Biden good. may well, love that, right? You're I'd right. love to have people acting crazy is a foil. The okay, well, I I realize that about the debt limit. So that is good news to me because the last thing you want to see is America's credit rating downgraded and interest rates going up and the world economy collapsing. So uh, that's yeah. encouraging. A government shutdown <laughs> means they just close down the national parks and they annoy people for a week or so before opening it back up again. And that, and that wastes money, but at least it doesn't uh, you know tank people's bank accounts. So I count that as yeah. progress, David. Uh, <laughs> I think you're right. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, the big announcement is tonight. All signs point to, I mean, he hasn't said what he's going to do unless they've, uh, unless you have uh, privy to some sort of uh, secret news release. But uh, we're all guessing he's going to announce another run for president. Unless he's going to just suddenly release all the Mar-a-Lago documents, I don't know. <laughs> what can you tell me? Uh, no, my expectation, I think everyone's expectation is that Donald Trump will announce tonight that he's running again for president in 2024. You know, I, as you know, I'm always wrong about predictions, but 
this is a really different moment than if the Republicans had swept and if his people had gotten elected. If Trump had just shown that not only was he a kingmaker within the Republican Party, but that he, his people could win elections nationwide, then we'd be talking about, oh, man, look out, here comes Donald Trump. He now is making this at a moment of great weakness. Um, right, well, his, his handpicked people lost all over the country. His you know, election stealing, election denying people lost. Um, and most worrisome for him, a clear Republican challenger has, has appeared in Ron yes. DeSantis of Florida. I mean, that was, the, remember in 2015, ever, there were a bunch of Republicans who all thought it was good for them that Trump was in the race, and they didn't attack him until it was too late. Now he has one clear rival, which he's never really had, and that rival is already ahead of him in a, in a lot of key states, in, according to polling in the last few days. So Trump runs the risk of having the you know announcing and nobody caring, or announcing and the Republican yeah. Party having moved on. Um, but I don't, I don't want to predict that because you know he's proven the predictors, including me, wrong before. Yeah, but what's different this time is the conservative media has turned on him because they operate by Trump rules. If you're a loser, you're a nobody, no matter what you were before. You know, you're a nobody now. So even if he can't win, because that's what they're saying, he can, that he cannot win. Uh, is this primarily to blunt any effect that uh, and in, or, or to discourage the Justice Department from indicting him? Well, you know, it's hard to see into his mind. I think that that, that may be a motivation to stop the, the prosecutors in Georgia or the DOJ from indicting him. But this also like if, if he ever said he wasn't running, you know, he, all of his money now comes from Republican politics. All of his influence comes from the fact that he's there's a huge figure in Republican politics. If he said he wasn't running, that all dries up. Yeah. So there's a huge amount of True. praise and power and money that comes from being a candidate that he would lose instantly if he said, no, nah, I'm retired. Now, the other question that came up, and this was an idea from a listener, is that if um, Democrats really want to shake things up, they could form a coalition with certain Republicans and make Liz Cheney the Speaker of the House. What do you think about that idea? Well, I think the first part does make sense. I mean, I, I don't think it'll happen because I think Republicans will elect Kevin McCarthy, probably out of fear of this happening. But I do think that, you know, if the Republican, Democrats are at 217 and they need to get just two Republicans to take over the House, they might could do that. Um, but if that happens, I don't think they would make Liz Cheney, who will not be in the House at all anymore, uh, the speaker. I think they would probably make one of those Republicans speaker, you know, some mm -hmm. very moderate Democrat. Um, I just don't see them bringing in, you know, you can bring in someone who's not in the House to be the speaker. You know, you or I could be the speaker of the House if they elected right. us. But they, they, I don't think they would make Liz Cheney. Her constituency in Congress is just too small. Yeah. What are those debates going to be like between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, do you think? Do you think he'll? Do you, you, know, th do you think he he would show up for that? I was DeSantis. I would run like Trump is already an afterthought. I would run because DeSantis has a lot to run on in the world of conservative politics. I would just ignore him. That's the worst thing you can do to Donald Trump. I wouldn't show up to debates. I wouldn't talk about Donald Trump. I would just talk about myself and watch Trump, watch the air go out of Trump's balloon. Um, I think that he's already doing that to Trump. He doesn't challenge him directly, but he makes Trump by ignoring him makes Trump act crazy. So that's what I think DeSantis will do is just act like Trump isn't there. And that could be a self-fulfilling mm. prophecy. Do you think DeSantis will start coming up with nicknames of his own for Trump? <laughs> the, the thing we learned from from Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio in 2016 is you should never play Trump's game. <laughs> and for the, all people who try to copy, make America great again, whatever, make America yeah. wonderful again. 
stop being in any of his form, any of his language, gives the attention back to him. I think DeSantis will do his own thing and just ignore Trump. David Farenthold from The New York Times. David, thank you. Thank you. You can ring my bell, ring the bell. This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. And uh, here's Rachel Bell to remind us that as the weather gets more and more depressing, uh, we should man up and even woman up and go outside anyway, right? Right. You may be familiar with Huga, the Danish and Norwegian art of being cozy, consciously combating the winter blues with crackling fires, having friends over for tea and cake, and snuggling up in cozy clothes. But there is a Nordic tradition that is often practiced before Huga. I'm going to, you know, try my best to say this word correctly. Free Lutzliv? Free Lutzliv, yeah. Free Linda Okasan McGurk's new book is called The Open Air Life. Discover the Nordic art of free Lutzliv and embrace nature every day. The Swedish government, they define it as spending time outside and for personal wellness and to experience nature without pressure to achieve or compete. It's part of the culture in Sweden, Norway, Finland, Iceland, and Denmark. Places that are darker and colder than Seattle in the winter, but where people don't experience seasonal depression like we do. The essence of Feet of Sleeve is that it's important to be outside in every season and to find something to love in, in every season because the benefits of being outside don't end just because it's dark and cold outside. I'd say, you know, you, you need it more than ever. They simply adjust, dressing warmly and waterproofing for the weather, bringing a flashlight when it's dark outside. I always come back inside more alert, more focused, and just feeling that my spirits have been lifted. And sometimes when the weather is rough, you come back inside and uh, it actually helps foster gratitude, I think, because you appreciate the warmth and comfort of home a lot more when you've been out there. So I think a lot of times the beauty is in that contrast. She says the best time to get outside is before 10 a.m. The sunlight in the morning is good for your circadian rhythm and it actually helps you sleep better at night. And at work, where many of us sit for much of the day, she recommends breaking up the day with walking meetings. Especially for creative sessions, like brainstorming sessions, you know, being outside can really help spark people's creativity. A lot of people feel like you're more on a level playing field, regardless of your title or, um, you know, your role in the company. It's, it's just easier to talk when you're walking side by side rather than facing each other over a big conference table. And if you want to take Free Lutz Live to the next level, remove any barriers between yourself and nature. I do try to do barefoot walking as often as I can. Just a great way to, you know, stimulate, you know, nerve endings in your foot. It's just relaxing. Feet are not made for being squished into uh, shoes. You can find a link to Linda's book at mynorthwest.com slash Rachel Bell. She said it's actually such a part of the culture that there are places that are designated to walk without shoes so that you know it's going to be grassy and soft and people just go out there and take their little shoes off. That. It yeah. reminds me because they have a practice too where babies nap outside. <gasps> oh wait, they do? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially in Sweden. Yeah, they they even if the baby falls asleep inside, they'll put him in a buggy and put him on even the porch outside. Even if it's outside. cold and rainy? Even if it's all weather. They bundle up the baby, of course, just little faces showing, but they sleep outside. They swear by it. They say it just raises healthier babies. And they stay inside? Yeah. They Jeez. should have like a, they probably have a sign on all the doors. No babies allowed. Rachel, yeah. it's unique and lovely stories like this that's going to make me miss you all the much more. What? Miss you? Where are you going? Oh, 
Dave. <laughs> Such a good actor. <laughs> Thursday is my last day at Cairo Radio. I have been here 12 years this round and another three between 2005 and 2008. And uh, I've decided to go off and spread my wings and just do my podcast, Your Last Meal, full time. Not no even more, coming to the office? Not even coming to the office. Not even doing these hardcore, hard news stories no. that I'm most known for. You're making, hmm. you're being a little facetious about it, but it's such an important fabric of journalism is these human interest stories and, and the stories that get us talking and learning. Yeah. We've learned so much from you, Rachel. Yeah, I mean, I will say I do what nobody else here does and so yeah. it is fun to fill in the gaps with, you know, pushing my own agenda about trying to get people <laughs> to recycle and go outside and and just kind of bring a softer side of, my goal has always been to give people topics to talk about at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. You know, things that don't involve crime and terrible things going on. Sometimes we go down those routes, but yeah, I just think, you know, if you're going to a party, I want to have you, you know, have something to talk about. So that's always been my well, goal. you certainly have done that. I can't tell you how many times I've gone home and started a discussion based on something you brought up yeah. and got myself in trouble. If it weren't still, for you, he wouldn't talk to his wife. That's probably, wow. you know, that's <laughs> probably <laughs> true. I can still do that private counseling for a fee. I almost yeah, tripped you. myself. So how can people support you, Rachel? We still have a few more days with you on Cairo Radio, but you're going full-time into your last meal, your podcast, and to support you, how do we do that? Yeah, so you can subscribe to the show. Nothing is going to change if you already listen. You won't even notice the change on the podcast platform. So Your Last Meal is the name of the show. If this is your first time hearing about it, I interview celebrities about their last meals and then get into the history, science, culture of that food. So subscribe at yourlastmealpodcast.com on the apps. Um, I have a new newsletter so that people can stay in touch. If you go to my Facebook or my Instagram, both are Hello Rachel Bell. You can find the link to my Substack, and eventually I will post things there. Uh, but yeah, it'll give you first access to learning about me maybe events, things that might be available to paid subscribers. Think I'm going to do that. Uh, So yeah, stick with me. Rachel Bell. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you.